market. The S&P. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast where we cut through the crap and tell you just how it is and hopefully have a bit of a laugh along the way. My name's Andrew Page. And as always, joining me is Mr. Scott Phillips. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Andrew. Good day, fools. Thanks for listening. Today, we're going to bring you a BS-free take on what went wrong for online retailer Surfstitch. It dusted $500 million in the space of a few months. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Pain at the pumps. What the hell is going on with oil prices? And why should I care about Australia's AAA credit rating? Plus... If you can believe it, how to make 50 grand. Yes, 50 grand by making a single phone call. But first, what went wrong with Surfstitch? So listeners will probably be familiar with this company. The online retailer was founded by these three lads in Sydney's northern beaches, uh, Justin Cameron, Lex Pedersen and Hayden Smith, out of their garages. Uh, They ended up listing on the ASX a couple of years back. Uh, and shares just took off like a rocket. So they surged. You know, they went from about a dollar to two dollars, really, you know, more or less doubling. They made a bunch of acquisitions. Sales were growing at twenty percent plus, and then it all started going wrong. Um, so, Scott, we'll start at the beginning here. What does Surfstitch actually do? Andrew, many of our listeners will probably know Surfstitch. It's the online retail that was born effectively out of the back of Billabong. Billabong itself right. had its own troubles, floated Surfstitch as one of the jewels in its crown back in the day, back in 2014. This is an online retailer and online content provider. Surf videos, skate videos, surf conditions. And by the way, you can buy your surfboards, board shorts and bikinis straight from Surfstitch. Nice. So what went wrong? Well, the question right now, we don't really know the answer. The company's been a little bit vague, or very vague, quite frankly. Mm. There's been a couple of profit downgrades, and then yesterday they came out and said, yeah, you know that 30 million bucks of revenue? It wasn't really revenue, and we're going to have to reverse that number. Now, when 30 million bucks of revenue just disappears, right. you know you're in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, There's a situation you've got to be really careful about. But yeah, look, that's that's the surf stitch business. Okay. So look, um, you and I both love a bargain. Um, and this is a bargain compared to where it was. You're looking at a share price six months ago of about two bucks a share. Uh, now, what, 25 cents today? Um, you know, the market often does overreact. Is this a bargain? You know, should I rush in there and, and, and grab up as many as I can? Maybe. Maybe. And that's the problem. <laughs> it, it depends, right? We, the company has been incredibly, incredibly vague in terms of the information it's given us thus far, at least, to really work out whether this is a temporary problem or a permanent issue. And quite frankly, as an investor, if you get that sort of situation, you're best to simply step away and say, I don't know. There's no harm in investing and simply saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know whether there's value there. I don't know what the future holds. Um, you know, fortune might favor the brave, but unfortunately, when it comes to investing, you just don't want to get caught in this sort of situation. Yeah. Maybe they write the ship. There's a new CEO, there's a new ex- yep. director being appointed. Maybe these guys can finally, you know, sort some things out and fix the problems. They're saying they're going back to basics, no more acquisitions, no more rubbish, just basically good old fashioned retailing. Mm. But this is the problem. Retail is an incredibly, incredibly difficult game. Isn't it? Online retailing, even harder. Not only are you competing with the likes of the physical stores of the Rip Curls and the Surf Dyes and Skis and everything else, you're competing with the big daddy of them all, Amazon. Yeah. And Surfstitch is a global retailer. They have operations and businesses in Europe, in America, Mm. right around the world. This should be a company that has you know, some promise. It, it, it's a business model that really should actually work. And that's why we actually liked it at one point up until very recently was because it had a great business model. It had perfect opportunity to do very, very well. Yep. It just can't make it work. And and frankly, 
Retail is a very simple business, but it's incredibly hard to execute properly. And it sounds like Surfstitch just hasn't invented the formula yet. That makes it too risky to buy. Okay. So you're saying that discretion is the better part of Valor in this instance. It almost always is, and certainly in the case of Surfstitch. Fair enough. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. All right, well, let's move on. Let's talk about the uh, the petrol pumps and the pain that, or otherwise that we might be be feeling here. And Scott, I got I got to confess, this always does my head in. You know, since forever, as long as I can remember, I've heard about this idea of peak oil. You know, the idea. You know, the world is running out of oil. You know, there's there's only so much of it out there. Um, but here we are in 2016. The price of oil is, in fact, at its lowest point in a decade. You know, it was $160 um, a barrel not that long ago. Now it's, what, less than 40 uh, or at least it got there not too long ago. Um, and, you know, on an inflation-adjusted basis, this is at prices that we last saw in 1985. So so that's one circle I need you to help me square. The other one that we've, we've, we've got here is that in Australia, <clears throat> our petrol prices have come back a little bit, but geez, not by the same extent. So that's something else that seems a little bit dodgy to me. So I'm hoping that you can you can help me out here. Um, so firstly, why is the price of oil coming down? Yeah, it's a great question. There's a lot in there to, to unpack really, and we'll do it pretty quickly, but, but hopefully reasonably simply. Peak oil was that theory that there was going to be effectively not enough oil in the world for us all to do what we needed to do. Our cars wouldn't run, our, our ships wouldn't run, we couldn't heat our homes. Effectively, the oil would run out at some point. Now, the first peak oil forecast was 1970-something, mm. then it was 1980-something, then it was 1990-something, and you're getting the picture. We're now in 2016, and there's no shortage of oil around the world. And this is really the triumph of human ingenuity over pessimism. Right. And, and frankly, that's a really good theme for almost everything when it comes to investing. And when it comes to the economy, mm. we find new and better ways to do the things that we want to do. We found much, much, much more oil than we thought existed. Okay. We found alternatives for oil, like coal seam gas, for example, that many of our listeners will be uh, th- talking about, thinking about, and frankly, not very happy about yep. uh, when it comes to finding new ways of effectively powering our cars, boats, and ships, yep. uh, natural gas. There's plenty of alternatives to oil. So the first thing is there is no shortage. And where there was a shortage or where there was a perceived shortage and the price shut up, we're finding many, many, many better ways of getting it out of the ground. Well, it's, it's not just that there isn't a, a shortage. I mean, it's, it's, it's more than that, right? We've actually come, the world is awash in cheap oil. Yeah, that's exactly right. So thinking about, you know, there's plenty of oil in the Middle East. There are, There is many, many, many decades of supply in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. There is many decades of supply of coal seam gas, of liquefied natural gas, uh, of what they call shale gas in the US. Uh, same kind of idea. There's plenty of alternative fuel substance energy to power the world. Of course, at the same time, we're working really hard on renewable energy. And everyone listening will know Tesla. Um, fantastic looking cars. I wish I could afford Very one. Very cool. Uh, the electric car is going to be the future. And it may not be for the next 5, 10, even mm. maybe 20 years. Yep. But we are going to go to a world where renewables power our economy. Okay. So not only do you have the oil being discovered at a rate of knots, you've got alternatives coming on stream, which is reducing the growth in demand of that. Right. So really, those two are working in concert quite nicely to see the price fall. And at the end of the day, whenever you've got a surplus of supply over demand, prices fall. That's exactly what we're seeing right now. There are so many places from Venezuela to Saudi Arabia, from the US to Queensland and Papua New Guinea, Mm. where you can get oil or oil substitutes. And the more oil there is, the cheaper the price gets. Now, you asked the question about pain of the pumps, right? So we had, by the way, last quarter, 
the cheapest petrol prices in 17 years. You could get petrol for less than a buck a litre for the first time in over a decade and a half right. in the first quarter of this year, so January to March. Okay. It was really cheap. I don't know if you remember it, but you know, I, I you know, it was it was phenomenal. Almost going back to when I was on my P plates and you know paying paying 80 cents, 70 cents a, a litre. Um, no, it wasn't pounds, shillings, and pence. Thank you. <laughs> uh, it was you know petrol. Petrol was cheap, and it got cheap again, and it got cheap again because the oil price fell through the floor, and the Australian dollar was pretty attractive at that point too. Right. Now, but, but this is what I don't get, right? right. So this is why. So we, we've talked about a barrel of oil, one hundred and sixty bucks odd, down to forty bucks odd. Okay, yeah, the price of petrol's come back a little bit, but you know, it, not by that much. I mean, this it just seems a bit rigged. Ask anyone who's been around the world; they know when the dollar falls, it gets more expensive to go to America or go to Europe okay. or go to England. Unfortunately, when the dollar falls, it also gets more expensive to buy petrol. So it's priced in U.S. dollars. Correct. Petrol is priced globally in U.S. dollars, and when the when the dollar falls from a dollar ten as it was a couple of years ago to seventy three odd cents, that goes straight to the price of our imports, and in this case, straight to the price of oil. Okay, so it's really just the consequence of the Aussie dollar going from what was it, what buck ten at one stage, and what are we now seventy six odd cents or something? So that's that's really the main culprit here. In part. Well, now, think okay. about the, the petrol price we pay at the pump is only a very well. It's a relatively small amount of oil price. Mm-hmm. There was a whole lot of government tax in there. There was a whole lot of the okay. refiner's own margins, the, the retailer's own margin, the yep. guy who runs the petrol station. They all make their cut as well. Right. And that's a very, you know, tax, I think, is the largest component of the petrol price we pay. Right. So whenever things change, yes, they change to some degree, but there's a whole lot of costs that aren't about the oil price. And so it only ever moves within a decent enough range. Okay. Most of the rest of that simply happens no matter what. But yeah, when the price comes down, it's because of cheap oil and a positive Australian dollar. Mm. Unfortunately, we've seen the oil price jump back up more recently and the dollar's kind of floating around that 75, 76 cents, as you say. Okay. Those things that helped us pay cheap prices for petrol, unfortunately, are working against us. Mate, you've, you've given, you've given the, the economist's answer. It's, it's, <laughs> it's rational. It makes sense. I'm with you. But, but there's, a, there's a part of me but. that says, bullshit. And, 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 and that part of me <laughs> says, well, you know, the long weekend, you know, prices of petrol goes up. Well, you know, that's the other problem. There's, there's, there's umpteen numbers of inquiries where just, you know, is the Aussie dollar and the price of oil moving that much that what I'm paying on a Friday is, you know, that materially different to what I'm paying on a Tuesday? No, no. This And this is where, this is where if you're very generous, you're going to say, it's the benefits of competition. If you're not so generous, you're going to say, it's the cost of collusion. Right. Now, I'm not going to stand here because I don't want to go to jail and say that people are colluding. I don't want to slander anybody or, or get myself in any legal trouble. And certainly the good folks at Triple M would rather we didn't do that either, I'm sure. But in this case, look, yeah, the, the prices fluctuate. You know, they, they charge as much. Look, any business charges as much you can get away with. Let's sure. be really, really honest about yeah, that. Yeah, I do the same, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. If, if I was running a petrol station, someone would pay me two bucks a litre, I'd take their money. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so they, they, they jack the prices up as high as they can. Right. And the bloke down the road says, well, I want a bit more volume, so I'm mm. going to drop my price a couple of cents and okay. try and get a few more cars to pull in at my place. And so you say, well, all right, he's dropped his price. I better drop mine a bit further. So he says, mm. well, hang on, I want that. So I drop my price further. Okay. And prices actually ratchet down. So you yeah. find in petrol prices, like some other things, prices jump up hard and yeah. they ratchet down slowly. Okay. And quite frankly, you're exactly right, mate. Public yeah. holiday weekends, long weekends, you're always paying a fortune for petrol. You know why? Because they know they can charge it. Right, right. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you to, to, to gaze into the future. If, <laughs> if, if, if you want to pretend to be Nostradamus for a second, what am I paying for, for petrol next year? say maybe in five years as well? Uh, Sorry, tough question they, I'm throwing they, at you from left field there. They, they, they say that uh, if experts don't forecast because they know but because they're asked. Right. I, I'm, neither, I'm neither an expert nor a forecaster. So I'm <laughs> going to tell you the honest answer, which everyone asked this question or any question in finance should give you is, I don't know. I don't know. Anyone yep. who doesn't say I don't know is lying to you. Um, 
The reality is that there is a truckload of oil available for us as a society, and there really is no material reason we should be paying a lot more than today's prices for the next four or five years. Right. There will be spikes because sometimes there are wars in the Middle East, for example, and it does restrict supply and prices do go up. Okay. There are reasons why weather might, for example, hurt offshore drilling. Right. Okay. There are temporary reasons why prices of oil, barrels of oil I'm talking about here, will fluctuate. Right. But there is absolutely no reason you should be paying any more for a barrel of oil in five years' time than we are today. And hopefully, quite frankly, many of us are driving electric cars and saving the planet a little bit too. Okay. Well, that's the reason why I'm going to buy a Tesla is for the, for the greater good of the planet. Can you buy me one too? Um, and yeah, well, no worries. Easy. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Speaking of the future, um, look, we're in the midst of a federal election. You, you couldn't avoid it if you tried. Oh, here we go. Uh, don't switch off. Bear Boring. with me here. There's, there's talk about, you know, the, the, the major parties are talking about our uh, the country's AAA credit rating. Oh, even more know. boring. Economists are talking about this. I can hear people switching off as we speak. I know. Click, Bear with click, me. Click, Bear with click, me. Quick, get it back in a uh, You know, apparently it's at risk. If you listen to some of the parties, our, our AAA credit rating uh, is at risk. Oh, I guess. Still bored. Make it interesting. Sex it up for me. <laughs> <laughs> and say, what, what is what is this credit rating and why do I care? Yeah, look, I'm really glad you asked. And, and listeners, honestly, give us give us two minutes because this is actually really worth your time. Not for the economics of it because that's relatively boring, but for what it means for you, what it means for the country, and frankly, what it means for the election. Now, we're not going to get you know, economic, we're certainly going to get political here, but it's worth understanding what the credit rating is because when Malcolm Turnbull comes out or an economist comes out and says, our credit rating is at risk. Everyone says, well, I guess that must be a bad thing because mm. someone's saying it's a problem. Yeah. Um, but it's important that, you know, as, as voters, as, as citizens, we know exactly what's going on here. And we can do it. I'm going to put a stopwatch on now. Give us three minutes and we'll tell you exactly what's going on here. Okay, then. So firstly, what's a credit rating? A credit rating is very simply someone's assessment of whether you or I are worth lending money to, whether okay. we can pay it back. Are we a good risk or are we a bad risk? Okay. Simple as that. Okay. AAA is the highest. Right. There's AAA, then there's AA plus, and there's AA, and there's AA minus, and okay. so on down through Sounds the Sounds like alphabet. bra sizes or something. <laughs> I'll uh, take you with that. Okay. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Moving tri- along. Tri- AAA is the highest credit rating. It says you are the best possible risk of all the risks that are worth taking. Mm-hmm. Um, and effectively, there's no chance you guys will go broke. Okay. Does that mean I get a better deal? Well, yeah. So this is the thing. Banks charge different interest rates based on your credit rating. If you're a AAA credit rated risk, Andrew, I'm going to let you borrow at a really, really cheap rate. But if you mate down the road who's been broke three times, who's uh, you know defaulted on his mortgage, who who you know hasn't got a job, he's not going to get a AAA credit. I'm going to charge him a whole lot more. If I lend to him at all, mm-hmm. I'll have the cash converters and money threes, the, the payday lenders of the world. Right. You got to go there because you're not going to get debt from anybody else. And yep. that's the that's the government equivalent. Is you're either a really really good risk and the okay. banks are falling over themselves to lend you money, mm. or you're a bad risk and you've got to pay a high rate and convince somebody you're worth lending to. So the police are right. We we need to care about this kind of stuff, right? Well, yes, yes, and no. Oh, okay. you know, in a perfect world, yes, we want to be AAA credit rated because yep. it's simply it's cheaper. And think about the the government credit card, the government the government mortgage, if you like. Yep. The lower the interest bill, the better off we all are. Agreed. Frankly, if we can save a bit of money by paying a bit less interest, well, why wouldn't we? And Can't certainly, argue the budget that. the budget deficit could could benefit from it. Yep. But the problem is that's not the only question worth asking, Andrew. I want to give you a, a hypothesis here. Okay. Sure. Now, I, know, I know your lovely wife. So let's go. Let's say you go home to your lovely wife and say, mm. "Honey, the good news is we've got a AAA credit rating." Mm-hmm. The bad news is the only way to keep it is to not have a mortgage and live on the street. Okay. Now, and she's going to say, well, okay, Andrew, what's the alternative? You say, well, honey, if we got a mortgage and we paid for a nice house on the street, well, our credit rating would be double A instead. What do you reckon she'd say? I think she'd be pretty cool with the double A. Yeah, I would have thought I don't so know, I don't know my, my, my lovely wife would, would be that thrilled about living on the streets, frankly. Right. So the it's credit- an extreme example, but yeah, I'm with <laughs> well, you. This, so this is the thing. If you want to borrow money, 
you have to make that choice. And if you if you have if your credit rating changes because you borrowed the money, you've got to say, well, is it worth borrowing the money mm. given the change in my credit rating? If I've got to pay a little bit more, mm. but I can borrow some more, mm. is that worthwhile? That's what we all do when we buy houses. We say, well, how much more can I afford to borrow? Yep. How much more can I afford to pay? And is it worth it for the house that I want? Okay. Now, okay. the credit rating is important, but it's far less important than the sort of things we spend that money on. Now, right. I'm no Malcolm Turnbull fan. I'm no Bill Shorten fan. Yep. But if the government borrows and wastes money, that's a terrible outcome. Right. But if they don't borrow the money and our roads and rail turn to shit, well, that's also a terrible outcome. Mm. So the government's got to decide, and, and we can argue about whether or not we think the, the right people are making those decisions, whether or not they should borrow to build hospitals, to build roads, to be railways, to do the things that we as a country want. Mm. If we think it's worth doing, then one downgrade, one downgrade of one notch in the credit rating is not going to kill us. And so we mm. shouldn't be fixated, almost fetishizing this AAA credit rating like it's something to have at all costs and, and no matter mm. what else happens. Mm. You've always got to balance these things off. In Like anything in life, do I want to borrow the money? Can I afford to pay it back? Am I using it for something useful? Mm -hmm. If you're borrowing money to go on a spending spree in Vegas, that's probably a stupid thing to do. Yep. If you're borrowing money to buy a house, that's probably a good idea. Mm -hmm. That's the important part, not whether or not you've got a AAA rating. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Makes sense. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Listen, we'll, we're getting close to, to finishing up here, but um, you made, uh, well, I made a pretty big promise at the start here and telling people how that they can make 50-odd grand with a, with a single phone call. How I is know, that, Andrew? Well, I'm going to put that on you, mate. Um, <laughs> I, I know you recently made a, a, small, a small fortune for yourself. Uh, I know it wasn't a lotto ticket. Um, I know you're not a big fan of the pokies. I don't even think you made a big win on the market recently. Um, not to that extent anyway, but, but you did make a phone call, right? I did. And how long did it take? Uh, about five minutes and I did have to send a follow-up email so I had a bit of extra time to, to spend. That still seems like time yeah. well spent. You're not a standover man. You're not... <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not sure I could scare someone. You're not someone. extorting the money out of some I, poor old lady. I'm not sure I could scare someone with a single phone call, unfortunately. Okay. Well, fortunately, maybe. And, and anyone can do it? Anyone can do it. All right. I mean, tell me. All right. Let's. right. I'm going to give you a couple of numbers. Okay. The average mortgage in Sydney and the rest of the country is pretty similar, about 550000 bucks. Okay. Right? And if you're paying, say, 4.4%, you're going to spend about 635 bucks a week, give or take. Just just in interest? Yeah. No, that's that's the repayment. Pretty oh, that's everything. Interest. Okay, right. So you pay okay. your loan off. You get a half a million dollar mortgage, you know, 550 grand mortgage, 4.45%. Mm -hmm. You're paying 635 bucks a week. Okay. Right? Over the life of that loan, you're going to spend another 447,000 bucks in interest. That wow. rounds up to almost a very, very nice million bucks. You borrow, borrow well, is it just in interest I'm spending that much? 447 in interest on top of the 550 you're paying back. So it's costing you a million dollars wow. for a $550,000 mortgage. Now, okay. that's going to happen to some degree no matter what you do. Yep. But I can save you 50 grand with a very, very simple phone, simple phone call. In fact, it's a phone call like the one I made myself. Okay. There are 160 loan products around the country right now, individual loans. Yep. You can pay less than 4% per annum to repay. Well, big deal. 4.44. Well, fractions of a percent, right? This is the thing. So most people listening are probably, well, almost certainly not paying 4%. Maybe you're paying four and a quarter. Maybe it's four and a half. Okay. Maybe you're even paying more than that. Maybe you don't know how much you're paying. Maybe yep. you figure, ah, oh, Commonwealth Bank's going to do the right thing by me, right? Yeah. Unfortunately not. There are so many people out there <laughs> The paying... bank's going to do the right thing by me? <laughs> there is that, maybe. Yeah. Maybe there's a bad assumption. There are too many people out there paying more than four and a half percent interest, which sounds mm. like a low number, right? Yeah, you say, it is. Four and a half, four, Crazy who cares? low, yeah. If you can get your loan rate down from 4.45, just as a single number, to under 4%, right. you will save yourself $50,000 over the life of your loan. That's a new car. In fact, in fact, my maths is right. That's it's about two grand a year in savings. Correct. For doing literally nothing other than one phone call. 
I'd made the, I made a phone call to save myself a quarter of a point in five minutes, 25 basis points, 0.25%, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Our listeners can do exactly the same thing themselves. And if they're not, frankly, they're costing themselves money. And I don't reckon anyone listening has got that much money. They want to donate more to their bank. I'll make a deal. If anyone who's listening out there, I will do it on your behalf, but I get to share in half of the... Uh half the savings. I'll do it for a quarter. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, all right. Let's stop it right there, Scott. That's a genius idea. And it's only five minutes. You don't have to fill out a bunch of forms five or anything minutes, like that. Five minutes, maybe an email. I guarantee your bank will give you a better deal. There you go, fools. Don't say we never did anything for you. Scott, as always, it's been a great pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, fools. We'll be back next week. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.